everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Unapologetically Different Podcast. I'm your host, Key. This is Season 3, Episode 76. Happy New Year's, by the way. My team and I took a much-needed break. I actually went on vacation in Thailand, so please watch my personal page, my highlights, to check that out at Kiana Calder underscore. And make sure you check out my previous episode, episode 75, where I talk about toxic work environments. That's where I discuss Orlando Jones firing, Gabriel Union's comment, and much more. Now we back into the mix. I'm ready to get into it. So the WNBA Players Union finally reached an agreement, like finally, after all these years, we in 2020. The agreement consists of a significant salary bump for the league's highest paid players, going from annual base salary of $117,500 to $215,000. Wild. Wild. And when you compare that to the NBA top players, that's that's like nothing, like a fraction, if that, of what they're getting. Other cash compensation increases, changes to free agency, travel improvements, additional motherhood and family planning benefits. I'm surprised that was not already in the mix already, which is already a problem. Enhanced marketing and career development opportunities and changes to revenue sharing potential. All of this in 2020. Um, you would think they were getting this from the jump, but when in fact, when you start comparing the recent benefits to NBA players, it's really unfortunate that this is where we're at as a society. Yes, is a small it's a small step in the right direction, but I definitely feel like there should be more. The conversation around this is like they should be grateful and happy, but I definitely think more could be given and offered to them, keeping in mind all the work these women do. And some of them are playing as mothers. Um, and speaking of, all-star Skylar Diggins-Smith confessed to playing an entire season pregnant after receiving no support from her organization. An NBA player could never, ever, like a man could never play basketball and be pregnant. Half of them began scratching the court. They'd be crying in the corner and whatnot. We calling fouls left and right. So can you only imagine as a woman that you're giving birth and the fact that leading up to your birth, you're actually playing and then you're playing for an organization and a team that you would hope um, supports you and stand in your corner. But in fact, they actually don't. And also keeping in mind that um, in 2018, Las Vegas Aces were forced, I repeat, forced um, to forfeit a game because of playoff imp implications because of flight accommodations. Like, are you serious? So now they had to forfeit a game because the flight accommodations wasn't worked out. And I'm sure they probably wasn't riding jet. <laughs> they probably wasn't riding no jet, no private jet or first class. So you mean to tell me y'all couldn't scrape y'all little coins together to make sure these ladies had the proper flight accommodation to appease them. And I will hope they family members for them to be able to play in the games. Now this has become a, a conversation piece and people are talking about it in part. They should be grateful, as I mentioned before. But then the other part of it is be grateful for what? Like, how long did this agreement take to happen? And, you know, I'm going to be quite frank with you. Um, when I was younger, I had interest in playing ball. I'm a ball head regardless. And when I was in high school, I actually tried out and I wanted to pursue playing basketball. Love and Basketball is my favorite movie, by the way. <laughs> Shout out to Sonali. Then, yes, but will you kill that scene? Um, but the problem was when I realized... I didn't make the team because there was biases, but we're going to get into that in another episode. But shout out to Cardinal Spawman, by the way. <laughs> I see you. But what I will say is in the aftermath of me not getting put on, I thought about the pay rate. That was my thing. I was like, but when you think about how much an NBA, a WNBA player, like a, a woman who is like one of the all-star players, 
they get paid a fraction to like the NBA players who are benching it. Dudes that ain't even playing in the whole game. They're not even probably getting two minutes, if that. And when I started to really contemplate that in high school, I really lost interest and wanted to pursue um, a career in WNBA. And I can only imagine what other women felt that way too and why they felt that way. So just kind of keeping that in mind. And so I hope that it continues to become a conversation. I hope that these players do not become complacent to the new agreement. I really hope that they push for more. We're in 2020 now. You know, the vision is clear. It's time for y'all to get on the ball and make sure these women have equal opportunity. And it's unfortunate that some of them have to play overseas in order for them to get the proper benefits that they rightfully deserve. And I think it's really problematic that we're in that stage. So hopefully there's going to be more improvement and they're going to be on the ball and they're going to do more. And the convert then the price points is going to go up from 215,000 to hopefully into the millions because they're deserving of that. They work really hard, they play really hard, and they're deserving of the money that the men are getting. And you know, I'm all about equal opportunity. So, shout out to them for pushing it. The players who stayed on board and who were consistent and the proper advocates and representatives they had in their corner. I hope they continue to fight and don't settle for this. Um, and I want to see more coming from them. So, shout out to the WNBA. So Attorney General Letitia James recently announced that her office will be probing an investigation against NYPD for racial biases on fear evasions. Child, <laughs> it's about time. There have been disturbing videos going viral of men and women, children being harassed or dragged away by police enforcement for fear invasion. We talk about MTA and we're going to get into MTA in a minute because I got a whole problem with them. This investigation has been announced after explosive affidavits surfaced from current and former NYPD officers that were told explicitly to target black and Latino men, which is really interesting. I'm not surprised by that, but now that officers are coming out to speak out about it, black and brown officers at that, finally they saying something because, you know, they be on that Blue Lives Matter shit. <laughs> I see you. So one of them was Lieutenant Edwin Raymond, is a plaintiff in a lawsuit against a high-ranking NYPD leader, who oversees the department's subway policing division. Edwin refers to this person, Constantine, as a David Duke in uniform. Can you believe that? And I really do. I was like, the shade, honey. I like him. Edwin, I like you. You was raised well. So the he, he, he called the lieutenant um, a David Duke in uniform because of the way his attitude was towards the force and how he strategically told these officers to target certain groups. So peep this. He didn't want them to target soft, like, targets. So soft targets were considered white people and Asian people. The hard targets that he wanted them to target are black and Latino men and women specifically. And he wanted them to target men that wore tattoos. Now, I wear tattoos. I have tattoos. I love tats. Um, I think it's a form of expression. Think whatever you want about it. And luckily, we're in a society now where things are changing. You actually can get employed and still have tattoos, depending on where you're going to work at. But for you to target someone based off of a tattoo, like, that's really ridiculous to me. So according to The Root, Black and Latino um, New Yorkers received 70% of all fair invasion citations and 90% of arrests between October 2017 and June 2019. Numbers don't lie. So clearly there is a disparity going on where it's a certain group is specifically being targeted. And when you start to do these reports and they start to come out more and more in numbers, it, it's like this doesn't make sense. 
So Letitia James is actually going to be probing this investigation. She wants the NYPD to follow through accordingly and present all the records and paperwork of what they've been doing, how they've been targeting these groups. It's unfortunate because I have come across a couple of these videos that went viral. I do not like to see them because I feel like it's the world star hip hop of the era and I'm not into that. I really don't need to see those things to believe it. You know, I'm going to keep it 100 with you. It's not a surprise to me. And I could speak more to this because... I'm from the Bronx, born and raised uptown. Shout out to BX all day, every day. Best borough in the world. Um, and I noticed in my area, which is composed of black and brown people, and plus I'm along White Plains Strip, so you already know that's Jamaicanville right there. Shout out to my Jamaicans. You know how we do. And I've seen an influx of police officers coming in, especially at the train stations. And I've been noticing it, but I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I'm like, so it'd be like two of them post up, and they be hiding. It's not like they be in sight. They literally behind. They hide behind the conductor. They hide behind um certain parts where they think people are not gonna see them. So if you do jump this turnstile, they could catch you. And then sometimes they're upstairs. I know all of those secret locations. I be peeping y'all, and that's how they are in my neighborhood. I can only imagine what they're in other neighborhoods like Brooklyn or Queens or those areas that are primarily of black and brown people. And to me, it really bothers me that you're targeting these groups and these areas specifically for the sake of what, what are you trying to do? And allegedly I, um, Governor Cuomo had passed for more of these police officers to be in these neighborhoods. So you want them to track people on the MTA, but we got real crimes going on in these streets. Where are y'all for that? And it really bothers me because, you know, I travel, I move around a lot. So if they out here, like, what's going on with y'all being on 96th Street by the queue line? Are y'all out there too? Are y'all hiding behind the conductors? Like, are y'all doing that? Are y'all going to be by 59th Street in Lexington? You know, like, are y'all going to be in those areas? Um, are you going to be by 57th and 7th Ave? Like, I just want to know what areas are y'all, because y'all not going to be in those locations as predominantly white people, and it's not going to be in areas that consider, like, affluent communities. And to me, it's like you're strategically targeting these areas, and you're trying to police us even more, keeping in mind that we already have a high rate of police brutality anyway with black and brown people. You know what I'm saying? It's already, we being stopped and frisked left and right. And I feel like they, they try to play it off like, oh, we stopped doing the stop and frisk for a little bit, but now we implementing something else. At what point are y'all going to stop trying to police black and brown people bodies? Like, and why are we the targets? Why are we the hard targets? Like, why is it that we're not considered soft? And this is the problem that I have with it. And what kills me is it's over MTA. Like, when I speak about communities like Lincoln Center on 66th Street, oh, yeah, I don't see y'all out there. I don't even, I barely see cops out there, heavy. So you feel like people ain't going to jump the turnstiles. And then for you to make the presumption that it's only this type of group. Now, let me tell you a backstory. Because, you know, I'll be on my activism shit. One time I was at the train station. It was on a six line by 50th Street. And I remember there was this black homeless male. He was heavy set. He was sitting on the bench. Cops came out of the van, went downstairs in the train station, surrounded this dude. So I'm across, you know, watching them, taking out my camera because I'm ready. Because, you know, you got to be ready for these cops because, you know, cameras don't lie. And since y'all body cameras don't work or y'all pick and choose when y'all want it to work, my shit work. So I'm over here watching them and I'm like, all right, chill. And I was ready. I was about to say something. But I was like, yo, it's like five of them. It's one homeless dude. I don't know if he's going to have my back if I step in. So let me just watch from over here. You know, I got perfect view and shit. So I'm looking. This whole time these cops are crowding this dude on my side of the train, two white dudes jump the turnstile, like hopped over. No cop on the side in sight. And they was on the other side. So even if 
y'all was gonna come over and lock them up, which they didn't do. And I'm like, so y'all surrounding this one black man who's homeless, like clearly. And then, but y'all didn't notice these two white men jumping a turnstile. So when you talk about that, like that's, and that was just one example. You know what I'm saying? And that was really pissed me off because, and then we talking in the context of MTA. It's not like it's quality fucking Metro system. Let's keep it 100. This ain't the Metro North. You know what I'm saying? Like the trains be slowing up all the time. Let, let get me started with that. They don't even know what to do with sick passengers and people get sick. We're in a big city. But MTA, you can't be smart enough to have more than one of your conductors on the train. So if someone does get sick, that person is staying with the sick person until EMT comes. No, they're not smart enough to do that. What they do is they, they hold up the whole train, they make their little announcement, and half of the speakers don't work, so don't even get me started on that, right? They make the announcement, and guess what? You have to wait until EMT comes for that person, the whole train. Now, can you imagine EMT trying to go through traffic by a busy train line to get in to take one sick person who's probably lightheaded, ain't had no water, or was tired of something, and the whole train is being held up. So now you late for work or God knows what, for meetings and all kinds of shit because of this. And then it caused further delays with other trains. Y'all can't seem to get that right, but y'all could do an influx of police officers to target in certain communities to police black and brown people. Like, to me, it's straight bullshit. And I really dislike how we're setting things up in this city because New York City is very multicultural, it's very diverse. That's one of the things I love about being born and raised here. And when I leave here and I go to other places, if I can't get that, I feel like I feel out of place. You know, I used to live in Indiana, so I did not feel safe out there. I didn't feel comfortable. So being here is inclusion. It's a boiling pot. So to me, for you to strategically target these areas, like, what are you trying to say and what is it that you're trying to do? And are you doing it over MTA where the trains are not working well? Like, great, they did a great job with the Q line, like, which to me is crazy. You go up to 96th Street on a Q line, it's a different world. Wild, clean, beautiful. Like, you could you could eat off the floor. Like, I'm, I wouldn't do it. You know what I'm saying? But you can. I don't even think the rats be out there. Like, that's how clean it is. But these other train stations are piss poor shape. The walls are cracking. Some of them are leaking. Rats, don't even get me started on the rats on a platform, particularly on 125th in Harlem, which is very disgusting. And also sometimes in the Bronx by 149th and Grand Concourse towards the very end. But y'all don't seem to care about those things and kind of making sure presentation is proper. But you want to make sure you want to target black and brown people to make sure they're being police. Um... This is really problematic to me, and I'm glad that Letitia James is coming in, a black woman at that, and really trying to rectify this. I hope the NYPD don't do no funny shit. And it's a current investigation with the David Duke <laughs> going on, with him being a part of that, and what's going to happen. And what, to me, what is problematic is a higher up in the police ranking was like, there's no way that this one lieutenant could have done all of that. Like, they don't even believe it. So then it's continuous bias within NYPD that I dislike. And then you wonder why there's no respect from the community. And you wonder why people look down at the people within police enforcement. What I find to be problematic even more is that you have black and brown people who are police officers. And I'm sure, I don't want to assume all of them are going into the force just to be against the community, because that's not what it is. I do believe some of them are really trying to bridge the gap of communication and trying to do better. But how do you go to be a part of something like that where on the opposite end, 
they're telling police officers these are the hard targets you need to get. Like, how do you sleep well at night knowing that? And then you still ride in this Blue Lives Matter wave. I really appreciate the police officers who have come out during this lawsuit and they've spoken about this issue. I speak about, I really appreciate them being open and honest as to what's going on. But what about the rest of you? Because they're not the only ones. And I'm sure if they're telling black and brown police officers to target hard targets, what are they also telling the white police officers to do? And then when you have white police officers from the suburbs that come out here, they're going to have their preconceived notions about these communities, but then you're telling them internally, target these communities. It's going to create more rift, more problems, more racism, and then you're going to have more issues of black and brown people getting shot and killed for what? Just for being black and brown people? I hope that this investigation comes to light. A lot more numbers come to surface, and I hope that the lieutenant in charge of the um, MTA system and policing these people, I hope that he gets fired, and everyone else who's a part of that gets handled accordingly as well, meaning get fired. We need to really change what's going on at NYPD if you want people in the community to feel safe, if you want them to feel like they're a part of a community and where they're not being othered. And to have these videos go around that's viral, I think it's very traumatic as well, and this is why I don't watch those clips. I think it's all cute when you sharing it, you liking it, you commenting, but for people like us in these communities, I don't need to see a clip. I could see it every day on the street. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's traumatizing. So I really hope that we reach a space where we're not even circulating those videos as much, but we're creating a conversation and dialogue as to how can we dismantle this? And I really don't think we need to incorporate more police officers in the train station because I really do feel like it's going to become a situation where somebody's going to pull out a gun and it's going to be it. And then what? Oh, they felt unsafe? They felt, oh, my God, I didn't know how to I didn't know what to do. Well, you're in an area that you know nothing about. And instead of you trying to build a gap of communication with these people and instead of you trying to get to know the community, you're actually coming into these areas and you're targeting us. And we see it. You know, adults see it. The millennials see it. The younger generation see it. So how are you bridging the gap when you're creating this kind of disparity? I really hope that. Um, Letitia James followed through on this from start to finish and the police officers who are coming forward continue to speak out and continue to be involved in the community and really speaking about how, what changes we can make. I don't want to believe every NYPD officer is out here just targeting us. I really don't. It's so easy to follow that wave. It's so easy to believe that. I do believe there's some good cops out there that are really doing their due diligence. They're doing their jobs. They're trying to protect the community. But we need to have more of those conversations. And this report needs to come to surface so that we can create the dialogue. And I would like to see more police officers coming into the community and going into community centers and having conversations, raw conversations, not the surface shit. Oh, y'all bringing donuts and shit. No, no, no. Fuck all of that. I want us to have a real conversation about what's going on. How are you protecting and serving us? You don't protect and serve us when you're targeting us. And I never really feel protected by the police officers, to be quite frank with you. I know that those are the people to turn to, but I could turn to other people. Like, y'all don't make me feel safe. Like, and when this is happening, like, fear invasion on the top of 2020, like, are you serious? And I could only imagine when it starts, what's going to happen when these people start getting citations, they start to build up. Is it going to be a part where going to be on their records and then they have to pay money? Like, you, and then you end up doing that, the ticket's about $100. It becomes a whole situation. And then when you talk about MTA, they raising the price. So y'all raising the price and y'all not having better conditions for people. And like I said, the trains are still late. Y'all still got sick passengers that y'all can't seem to accommodate. So what are we paying for? Like, what are we actually paying for?
So, like I said, I hope it becomes a further discussion. I'm looking forward to this investigation. I'm reading left and right to see what's going on, and I want to see more NYPD officers come to surface. And now it's time for Key's Tea. You know you get a little spice when you got Key on the mic. All right, so... Shout out to Jay-Z and Yo Gotti. They filed a federal lawsuit against Mississippi prison officials for violent conditions and failure to meet basic human rights. Um, so there has been about three deaths at Mississippi um, State Penitentiary in Parchment um, this week. And a fifth death occurred state prison since Sunday. Wild. And it's been like crazy attacks. There hasn't been much of supervision. I don't know what's going on with their cameras or what they're doing. So apparently that has there has been years of understaffing and um neglect of Mississippi prisons. No surprise there. As it's increasing numbers of incarceration, there has been decreased funding of prisons and cannot even meet b basic human rights. So you increase the population, but you decrease the funding. That's very interesting. And then you got to keep in mind, what does this population consist of? How many black and brown people are in there? And then when you start comparing criminal records, you know what I'm saying? If you think back to the Khalif Brada case that we talked about in a previous clip, like he was in there, he couldn't even afford bail. And you saw what he dealt with for three years and ended up committing suicide. So I wouldn't be surprised if Mississippi is set up like that, the prison system. So when you look at these numbers, it makes you really question where we are at. How many arrests, how many, how many of these arrests are valid? How many of them are proper represent? How many of them have proper representation? Because some people can't even afford an attorney. So I just want you to think along those lines. Like, okay, what groups and demographic are being targeted when you create these systems and you put them in play? Um, and I just want you to run through your mind and when you think about that, you know, because the prison industrial complex, when you keep it in mind, it, it's slavery in modern day under the 13th Amendment. People don't know that. <laughs> like, people don't really get that. That's exactly what it is. They're not even getting paid good money in there for the work that they do. They do labor and they get paid sometimes pennies. And as we can see what happened in Cali a couple years back with the firefighters, they was utilizing people from the prison system to put out these fires. <laughs> Where's my check and my benefits? I'm not putting out no fire for nobody. Like, let's keep it 100. Um, so I really want to give a special shout out to Hove and Yo Gotti for filing a federal lawsuit, like to know that they actually move forward on this. You know, we talk about these hip hop artists being in the community and them making a stand. So this really makes a big difference. I'm going to keep it 100. We know Jay-Z been on his little social injustice wave for a minute, so shout out to him. I'm not surprised. You know, but, yo, Gotti, I was Mr. Down in the DMs. Yo, Gotti, you can slide in my DMs real quick, honey. I was so surprised that he was about this life. I did not know that he was about this. So I have, like, a newfound respect for him. And I'm not trying to shade him. I just didn't know. And to see these artists actually bring these issues to light and be a part of social change, I'm just so happy to see that. So hopefully this lawsuit is followed through. Um, and I hope that these prisoners get the fair treatment that they rightfully deserve and the basic human rights, or at least transfer them someplace else. Shout out, that's Keys T.